Welcome to episode number 20 of El Police Radio. I'm your host, Alpha Mike. On this last uh, episode of the series, Everybody Was Kung Fu Fighting, we're going to wrap it up with judo, jiu-jitsu, a little bit of uh, Aikido, and we're going to talk about um, uh, Krav Maga. Got, got my case messed up there. And we... We could have extended this a little bit longer, but um, it is what it is. So, um, you're a believer or you're not a believer, uh, you believe in this hot topic, what's our hot topic? Well, our hot topic is simple. We've got two of them so far in El Police Radio, and that's going to be, number one, all retired Law enforcement officers should be offered the benefit of working part-time in every agency because that wealth of knowledge cannot just go home and sit on the couch. So it's important to get that knowledge uh, in that agency, staying in that agency, and give those officers that benefit. What can they do? Work Well, I, like I said, work part-time. They can work uh, major investigations, or they can do something simple, as uh, control, property, uh, maybe even traffic control. It's up to the agency. They work that out. Of course, they have to work it out with the collective bargaining agents. Can it be done? Yes, it can. And if you think it can't, you need to go lock yourself up in a closet and put a bag over your head because it can. What will it do for this country? It'll do amazing things in its homeland security because you would have... 25, 30, 35, 40, 45 year veterans still working. And that knowledge cannot be learned in an academy or from a book. It can only be attained by each and every one of those people. So that's our first hot topic. Our second hot topic every law enforcement agency in America should have a martial arts program in its agency offered to officers. Why? Well, you get martial arts, uh, defensive tactics, better said, in the academy. And how long is that curriculum been around in that state? Is it 10 years old, 5 years old, 20? Is it from the 70s, which we have seen, or the 60s? What exactly are they teaching? What What is the defensive tactics where does it originate from? What martial art? So that these officers and deputies can t- continue in that field, their level of proficiency. All proficiencies, don't use it, you lose it. So to avoid the don't use it, don't lose it uh, mythology, you want to keep up on that standard. So does that curriculum derive from judo, jiu-jitsu, wrestling, karate, boxing, what is it? So these officers can go out there and benefit. But the agency's got a partner with a very select few martial arts that can back up what they're coming up with in court. And it's very important. So that's our second hot topic. Proficiency, proficiency, proficiency. I think when you start seeing officers out in the street more proficient in hands tactics, you'll start seeing less secondary weaponry 
Okay. And of course, firearms, you're always going to see when there's that potential. That's, that's the maximum upgrade. But what you will see is more hands, more hands. Law enforcement's principles were built on hand applications. But because of a lazy society, we've come up with our Batman utility belts that have secondary weapons. What kind of weapons are they? What was that in the back? Yeah, secondary weapons, not primaries, to help and assist officers. These secondary weapons, okay, not the primary a lot of people think uh, that, they, and they're going to get this wrong on the quiz. You pay attention. Firearm is not a primary. Hands are a primary. And then it trickles down. How can you get a deadly force first? Uh, so I, what do you, where can you learn this stuff? Well, we can teach you an online training group, which is coming real soon to a podcast near you. So that's our second hot topic. Now, we looked at in uh, podcast or episode number 18 and 19, we looked at karate and we looked at the principles of that and the applications that it could be used in law enforcement. I myself have attained the rank of black belt from the Japan Karate Association and slash Japan Karate Do International uh, from Miami in Miami, Florida. Where I was a participant for over a participant in that art for over a decade, but it has its limitations. What? And there's going to be any art that you practice will have limitations. You can't get around that. You, as the author of the art, need to have the proficiency and skill level. That means you've got to practice each technique. How many techniques does your art have? How many have you mastered? Quickness, speed, strength, and everything that you do. Have you mastered that yet? And that takes a long time. Therefore, agencies have to partner with those officers instead of handing out rounds of bullets. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't want my firearm friends getting depressed on me. Firearms are still important. But this is another element that law enforcement officers should be using more of, not less of. Firearms is always going to be firearms. Okay, so don't, let's have my haters. Please sit down in the back of the room, calm down, and you don't need, raise your hand if you have a question. Don't start shouting out, shouting out. So, we're going to look at here at judo, and of course, judo coming from Japan, from Jericho Kano. It was a student of uh, jiu-jitsu, and have, after perfecting the art of jiu-jitsu, started to take away certain strikes from jiu-jitsu, uh, creating judo. Now, a lot of reasons that this was done, and a lot of my research is that jiu-jitsu was a deadly art mostly used by Okinawans and, of course, samurai warriors as well, forms or derivatives of jiu-jitsu. So when Jerry Kano came and started to create judo, 
it was done for the civilization, so civilianizing the art for the masses. And, of course, when it was introduced into a sport martial art, and we'll talk about that in a second, the sports uh, infiltration of martial arts, that means the application is going to be downgraded some more to include children. So, who are going to be your students in this overall format that was created? Well, primarily when it first started in judo, it's probably for men. Okay, and then it was later going to go into sports, and then sports would be, of course, for kids, teens, and children, and then eventually in today's society, introducing women. So, a down down, down, downgrading the art in itself. Judo is still a very dangerous art and needs a lot of proficiency. And a person very skilled in judo will be a sufficient and very capable opponent against anyone. I, in my first podcast on this episode, on this series on number 18, I discussed um, my friend Peter when he took me to a judo school at uh, Miami-Dade North, and we sat in in a class that was uh, given by Jack Williams, and um, I believe he's in his 80s now. He is a master of judo. He's been doing it for, uh, gosh, uh, maybe, uh, to be safe, a little bit less than 60 years. So he's been around uh, the art for many, many years. And he actually, Jack Williams, uh, in his career as a professor of judo from Miami-Dade College, uh, he was teaching police officers, and especially city of Miami police officers, during his uh, era. And so the application of judo was used in a police agency. What's so important was that Jack Williams and judo in itself was introduced to American colleges and universities. And, and elements of karate were too. But they were, of course, since strikes were not really prevalent and they weren't there, it was more accepted. I guess um, American society regarded judo as a form of wrestling, so therefore it was widely accepted. Now, without a doubt, in any defensive tactics curriculum that a law enforcement agency has, there will always be elements of judo. There's no way around it. But how important are strikes? I know when I went through defensive tactics, we were given courses on strikes. Some officers that are in uniform are shocked to hear this because they learn so many techniques on handcuffing, dropping them down to the ground, locks. They forgot that they were actually <coughs> taught how to throw punches and kicks and the correct method. And you might have punched around a kicking bag or a punching bag in your defensive training academy days. So it uh, doesn't mean that today you might not might not be too proficient in 
delivering kicks and punches. But it's the basis of use of force. It's the basis of defensive tactics. Therefore, it had to be taught before we get into the magical show of martial arts or ground fighting. So there are elements in judo, in defensive tactics, powerful art. I personally witnessed, and many of the people that I work with, we had the pleasure of seeing my friend Peter in action and basically having suspects flying through the air on judo throws and spectacular sight. And it's the kind of thing movies are made out of. But no, this was a real tangle. This was a real fight. And that was a real suspect that was flying the opposite direction, had no control in his flight, landed, of course, in the wrong position for him, in the right position for the officers, and quickly subdued. So did the application of judo work in a physical altercation in law enforcement in my career? Yes. I can actually point to an event. And the individual that was resistant was quite, quite angry, okay? This was not um, uh, one of these, I have no skills whatsoever. This was a person that was a career criminal that was extremely angry and was not going anywhere peacefully until he met Jericho Cano's technique up close and personal. As I stated in the other podcast, a lot of your thugs out there, they've got one, two, maybe three techniques that they've used. Most of their techniques are upper body, low extremities they're very weak in and they won't use. They won't dare to throw a kick because they don't know how to throw a kick. You really don't learn those things. They'll teach them more boxing skills than anything else. But they forget that when you are up against a person that has knowledge in martial arts, it's not only the skillful delivery of the art, it's also the skillful eye of looking at a person's body positioning, foot positioning, as they start swaying their body in a certain direction. A good martial artist can almost predict the assault is about to occur, therefore having the upper hand. Okay, As I stated before on Podcast 19, our friend on a YouTube video that was teaching uh, the mythology of give up martial arts, defensive tactics, whatever you want to call it, was uh, to me disgusting and repulsive. Basically, um, and, and you must have caught it on L Police. Uh, radio.com, it's on there, <coughs> and you can see them, the, the interaction. In principle, he's correct on, some, on, on a lot of things. Don't get me wrong. What upset me was not necessarily what he was discussing, was the, oh, that's it, I'm done. Okay, he got me, look, he got me like three times with the knife. What the hell? Where's, where's the art of the warrior? Okay, you got to keep going. So, we we know that there are a lot of people out there teaching certain things. 
Listen, anything that you deal with in martial arts or in firearms, whatever proficiency it is, is up to you and how you move that proficiency. You know, if you are defeated because you say, well, you know, I got into a martial arts program, but I'm really not that good. Well, you need to go find one that's good for you. Now, when we get into the mix of things on martial arts, there's going to be a bunch of people that are going to be upset because I didn't mention their specific art. You know, Taekwondo, um, Thai boxing, blah, 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 blah. And um, look, like I said before, we could be here for a whole year on this segment. If it works for you and you can get away with it with your agency and you think that your agency will support it, and here's more important, and the art that you're profession in pushing, can they withstand testimony in court? Okay? I know karate can, and I know Japan Karate Association can, because it has, for many years, been officially recognized by the government of Japan. Therefore, they've taught elements of their military and their police force. So they have a proven record, okay? Judo, I know, could be defended. And the reason that these two entities can easily be defended is because they were accepted in academia early on in universities all over this country. So uh, that recognition now has them at a different level. The art in itself, not being sportive but traditional, is deadly if properly used, okay? I don't care what you know. You're only as good as what the technique you delivered. If you delivered it half-ass, next thing you know, you're on the ground <laughs> sucking wind. But if you delivered it at 100% and you got to kill the opponent, let's say, with one blow, which is just a mythology. Don't, I don't want my liberal friend screaming down the block, murderer, murderer. I'm just saying, it's a saying. Sit down in the back. Come on, sit down. Sit down. Okay, don't, don't get excited on me. But if you deliver it correctly, you're that much more in the fight. Okay? So there are other forms of what is similar to judo. And you could also look at Russian sambo. And we can get into that. But I'm going to pause for a moment. Now, we talked about karate, we talked about judo, and we talked about Jerry O'Connell taking out all formal strikes. He was very particular about it, too. He wanted judo the way he left it. He didn't want any add-ons. He also forbidden his instructors from teaching judo to non-Japanese. And a step further they were not to add the strikes that he took out. And if they did, well, they could be seriously disciplined within the judo society. And that leads us into our next martial art, and that is jiu-jitsu, and especially Brazilian jiu-jitsu, or sometimes known as Gracie jiu-jitsu. Jiu-jitsu, which was really started as judo, the name was disguised, so they took out the judo and they made it jujitsu. What the hell did he just say? Well, I'll explain it to you again, kids. Sit down in the back, you're getting all excited again. 
when the martial artists that came from Japan and he traveled the world moving judo, sent by Jericho Kano to the United States, to Brazil and some other, and to Cuba, I know he went there too. He, of course, under the strict guidelines of Master Kano, knew what he could do and he could not do. But there was much more people wanted uh, than just grappling, and he in turn introduced it in Brazil. Now the group in the back is getting excited. Who is he? Who is he? Who is he? He is Judo Master Maeda, and he came from Japan in the turn of the century, 1900s, and traveled to the United States, Cuba, and Brazil. And when he got to Brazil, it was a little, he had gotten first, he came first to the United States. But one of the things he noticed was that he couldn't, it was difficult to make a living pretty much teaching or, or moving the art of judo under the conditions that he was given. So when he gets to Brazil, he meets Carlos Gracie, which was one of his students, and he basically negotiates that he would teach him as a formal student now, not just showing some moves, and in turn, um, they could do this challenge of the art all over Brazil. And, of course, Maeda knew that if it would get out and go back to Japan and Mastacano would know about it, he would be severely disciplined for that. So as a result, he did not teach it as judo. He taught it as jujitsu. And as that's how his art, what he was really pushing was judo, was introduced as jujitsu. And very effective. And then we know the effectiveness of Gracie Jiu-Jitsu. In the, I want to say, early 90s, when Gracie Jiu-Jitsu started coming to the States, uh, there was a lot of doubters out there. There was a lot of people out there who were saying, no, 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 you don't understand. My art is the best art ever. And it was foolish. Uh, I, I recall my friend Peter saying, all arts are worthy of being looked at. And upon looking at them, you may be able to study them. So without a doubt, the applications of Gracie Jiu-Jitsu having its foundation and its basis in Judo was very appealing. And I think through the Gracie family's promotion of their art, jiu-jitsu, in this country, it, it started flourishing and flourishing. They made challenges they, with the history of the UFC and then later uh, going into the MMA. And, of course, even in Japan, they had their own uh, fight competition 
no holes barred um, shuto fighting. And the Gracies were also in, involved in that, becoming champions and kind of, I don't want to say easily defeating, but defeating people that were either good in one area or another, whether wrestling or, or whether it was karate or whatever it was, but they were demonstrating that uh, Gracie Jiu-Jitsu and the principles of what they learned were greater, Depend, didn't really depend on the size of the individual, so it became more attractive. Today, because of our YouTube phenomena that you can see, everything and learn anything you can even fix world economies on youtube there's a lot of good videos there of police officers using great technique in real fight situations with suspects where the potential of them losing their firearm is great and the techniques were were done picture perfect in gracie jiu-jitsu and the officers prevailed and there's a segment in the Gracie Jiu-Jitsu that um, have embraced the teaching of law enforcement officers. And my hat goes off to them. They are two realms of Gracie. There is the sports realm and the traditional realm. But not to get involved in those politics because they can come and burn your house over that if you say the wrong thing. But to keep it on the subject of law enforcement, the martial art extended its hand to law enforcement. And very slowly, let me repeat that for the people in the back, very slowly, law enforcement started to extend its hand in accepting it. But we're not there yet. I think because of the association with the um, UFC and the MMA, it's kind of turned off law enforcement and um, the brass. But I want to talk a little bit real quickly about that phenomenon as well. How come in some law enforcement agencies you'll see a push for a judo or jiu-jitsu system like Gracie in their defensive tactics program certifying officers on specific moves uh, every year? just like firearms, whether the officers like it or not, they've got to be proficient in it. And then you see some others that, no, 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 don't get involved in that. You got your academy training 20 years ago. It was damn good then, it's damn good now, and you don't need anything. You do remember, do you? I think the book's there, bottom drawer. It's right there. Yeah, pull it. Show them the pictures. And you can do it all over again. The reason they don't want to get involved in it because they feel it's a high liability. Well, I don't know about if it's that high a liability. I think other things are more high liability. But that's my personal opinion. And you see that distinction between some agencies and some others. Well, the reason is when you buy into something, it has to be brought in from the people on the top. And if the people on the top are chair room commandos and they've really never got involved in fisticuffs in their career and they did have that 
the defensive tactics when they were in the academy. But that was a long time ago. And, of course, firearms, I do go out to the range maybe once or twice a year. So I'm proficient in that. So that's why the absence. Because you haven't brought into the concept. You don't know what the concept can do. And you really don't want to learn it either. Oh, no, no, that's uh, uh, too physical for me. Concrete floor. No, no, no. Oh, thank you. So they stay the hell away from it because if they're smart and they stay away from it, they can make promotion. That's right, buddy. No thinking out of the box here. And it's that type of thinking which has eroded law enforcement and law enforcement officers in going quickly to their Batman utility belts be, sometimes before. And I know I'm going to be criticized for saying it. Before the argument even started. And they go quickly to their Batman utility belt, pull out one of the toys on there, and whatever toy they pull out, that's going to render the sub subject uh, useless and absolutely no effort, no sweat from the officer. And we can back it up in court because we can blame it on Taser. Oh, Asp, that's right. Oh, Fox, which is pepper spray. We can blame them for it, okay? And that type of thinking is what's gotten us in the position that we got now, that officers, and this is coming from a, a very good source, are scared to put hands on people. Now, see the guys in the back. See, they're out of control again, screaming and raising their hands. Lower your voice. Come on, sit down, sit down. Come on. The reason... Cops are offended by that is because the truth hurts. That's not every police officer, but there are a kind, there's a few. And corrections, you see less of it because they don't really have secondary weaponry in the facility. So most of the facilities are hand-to-hand -hand combat. But Every once in a while, when you go to a road call, you look to your left, you look to your right, you know. There's the squad. You know who they are. You wouldn't even be found going in on a special detail with these people because they're freaking worthless, okay? You know their skill level. It's scary. You don't even know how the hell they got there. But as we move on, into our thinking, we're rethinking the thing of defensive tactics, trying to get away. I don't know, I remember um, maybe about uh, eight years ago, there was a big push in my agency to come up with defensive tactics to refresh officers. And I think it was a great idea. The delivery method was where the problem lied because. It should have been slowly integrated into a, an agency that had... And now, tr try to picture this, boys and girls. And simmer down. I want you to sit down and picture this. You don't have a physical standard any longer to get into an agency. You apply, they accept you, and you go to the academy. While in the academy... You have to do physical exercising. Okay, 
run, mile, jumping jacks, push-ups, this and that. So you might have noticed as either an officer or a civilian, if you ever saw a class of recruits dressed in their blues, or whatever color your state uses, some are more chunkier than others. That's right, folks. Some are a little bit more around the edges than others. And that's because there was no physical requirement for entry. Thanks to our domestic terrorists, which are ruining America each Taxi. and every day and proud of it. They have eliminated that, saying that those skill sets that are being waged against heavier Americans may not be fair and just. We're sorry. Your call and they cannot be deserve an opportunity to check the number and dial so again. You get in through the front door, you might have squeaked through the academy door, but now you go out to the street. And going up three flights of stairs is a freaking challenge. And you're on the squad mm -hmm, with Dunkin' Donut powder all over your uniform and everything. And the squad has to accept you. Now, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of good guys out there. But I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about the slackers, and you know who they are. They kind of identify themselves. They're the ones with the shiny shoes and the crispy uh, shiny emblems on their uniforms. They love to wear pins. And if they can wear fruit salad, they're the first ones wearing it. Wow. But their combat skills are very less than the desirable. So those are the individuals that we're talking about. So the agency integrated this, and they did it too fast, in my opinion, they, too abruptly. I think it should have been done first on a volunteer system. Second, uh, people needed to go uh, to county physicians to make sure they could do some of the stuff that they were supposed to do, get them uh, cleared through their physicals, their annual physicals. And then, of course, under the volunteer program, have them go through it. You would have had less injury because the people that were there wanted to be there opposed to the way they did it. No, no, we tell you when you go to training. Now get over there, and you're going to do what the instructor tells you, and you're running around on the mat. Oh, oh, my back, my ankle, my foot, my rear end. Next thing you know, light duty, typing up the report, and you're behind the desk for the next three, four, five months, years. You, you know, fill in the blank. You know what they are, right? And I think there's where... The top echelon didn't buy into it, and the top echelon didn't have any out-of-the-box experience in trying to put it together because there was really no buy-in. It was sold to the higher echelons from the training section of the agency, but the higher echelons really went, eh, you know, I'm not going to go to it. So there you go. It's gone. Now, there are other elements. And um, before, sit down. They're standing up again. A lot of the former colleagues are getting a little excited because, no, no, we have to do it and all this in the Justice Department. We know. Sit down. But that's not what the argument is. It's called 
commitment. Commitment. If I give you that once a year, do you walk around with a black belt or do you walk around with a red belt? Baloney. We're still not proficient. You know, even when I was a firearms instructor, people would go out there and they would uh, qualify once a year. That was just to get you through qualification. They, you know, and I, I, I saw people get, you know, the minimum score, but that was enough to get you over the hurdle. Here you go. Here's your box of bullets. Good luck. I'll see you next year. That's all. It was just a liability issue. The agency really didn't care if you freaking hit zero at 50 yards sitting eating a sandwich with your legs folded. They didn't care. They just, oh, well, yeah, we ain't going to get sued because he went to, well, the shooting went down. He went last year. We're good. That's all. It was just a check mark in the insurance um, box for the agency. And now we have to start thinking as buying into a martial arts program. Now, getting back to the Gracie Jiu-Jitsu, it is one of my favorites. I do have to say they have mastered the art. I am very impressed um, by it. But as a karateka, I always see the application of strikes. And sometimes I see them rolling around the floor and trying to grab a lock and do that, and I see the other hand free. I can't stop but throwing that karate mentality in there. So a mixture of, of, of you don't want to be a, you know, um, a practitioner of everything and a master of nothing, but you do want to add some strikes into, and it could be done. And then and, and Gracie and Jiu-Jitsu, and of course Judo doesn't allow it, Aikido, the stuff movies are made out of. Jiu-Jitsu principles, um, the master of Aikido, Yoshiba, he basically took it, all the strikes out of it, made it spiritual and in harmony with one's body. And I don't know what kind of mushrooms were ingested. And I know there's a couple of, get sit down, a couple of Aikido people are going to get upset. But, come on, let's be real here. Come on. Uh, okay, that was our real moment. And Krav Maga, Israeli principles of martial arts and how that was all put together. I'm not really going to get much into it because it's not really prevalent in martial arts in America. You do see a couple of Krav Maga uh, studios, dojos, whatever um, they are. And they have principles of all martial arts kind of like mixed in there. Um, I think it is effective. But I, everything is about the style that you will allow yourself to accept. And if you're allowed and you feel comfortable in that, I think it's worth taking a look at. Of course, created through Israel and its defense force, it has a lot of good 
solid techniques. And the principle is to attack, 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 and, and, and basically to neutralize the threat immediately at all given cost. And I actually believe that they would be very effective in law enforcement in this country as well. But I don't really want to get much into that because we're going to get a little sidetracked here. The basis of this podcast, and we're coming to the end, is basically that law enforcement agencies have to buy into the fact of having a defensive tactics program that they would either bring in professionals to teach it, just like you go to the gym. I know some agencies have professional trainers. They help out the officers. Why, why are they there? For fun? For shits and giggles? They're there because liability. In case some weight falls on their legs or something. Oh, oh my God, I'm on light duty. So they got a professional trainer there. And it takes some liability off. Just like we start pushing proficiency in weaponry, some agencies give you your own personal weapon, departmental issue. Some you have to get your own, and they kind of give you a little reimbursement so they can do inspections on your weapon, of course. If it's yours, the agency has to get somehow authority to inspect what's yours. And they give a list of firearms that you can carry and so forth. And, you know, there are some firearms you would not be allowed in uniform to carry. Then they also get into, and it's muddy water, but uh, what secondary weaponry you can use. And you have to be proficient in that as well. So let's say I'm sporting a Glock 23, which is a 40 caliber which I used uh, for most of my career, over 20 years. And then my secondary weapon is uh, Glock 27, a.k.a. Baby Glock. Okay, so that's my secondary weapon. Usually try to keep the calibers the same so the magazines are interchangeable. You don't have the 9mm in the ankle and the 40 on the waist. You you lose the, the fight with the 40 and you go... You know, you can't transfer. Hello, McFly. So anyway, that's another subject. We're going to get off of that. Sit down. I'm not on firearms. No, sit down. So you push now for proficiency of the officer in that specific secondary weapon, which will be also used for off-duty in the proficiency level. But you don't push towards a proficiency level in defensive tactics, and allow the officers to get better at the tactics that you've taught them. How? Where? Where do they go? What do they just sign, show up for annual training every week? No, they can't do that. But there should be a place for them to go where either you afford it or you partner with somebody that can give it to them. Agencies need protection. Agencies are Mongols of, of, of fear mongling on the top. Oh, we're going to get in trouble. You'll see. We'll be on YouTube. Uh, Five billion hits. So they don't want to really get into that. But there are some arts that can be very well defended in court. And we talked about that as well.
This is my hot topic. It is my second hot topic. I'm going to continue pushing it. We will talk about it until we start seeing this metamorphosis growing into law enforcement. As many people that will hear me discuss it and talk about it, I will start partnering with those people that have the same thought process as this so we can get those hot topics moving. So important. I spoke uh, on uh, episode number 18 about the BSO deputy, and that that's a bad situation that could have got worse, and I hate to play Monday morning quarterback, and I don't want to offend anybody that might say, well, you weren't there, and that's not fair for you, and that guy had his foot, and he was inflicting pain of his ankle, and all that is yes, I agree, but I was referring to the fighting spirit, and he... You don't de-escalate, and whoever, whatever clown is teaching this, you need to go back to the circus. You don't de-escalate in the middle of a use of force. Well, you didn't hear it in the back? You, or you say it again? You don't de-escalate in the middle of a use of force. Hello, the bell rang, the fight started, it's a go. And whether whatever position you're in, you need to continue fighting. So, folks, we hope you enjoyed this segment of Everybody Was Kung Fu Fighting. It has become our second hot topic, and we will continue. How do you connect with our group? It's easy. LPoliceRadio.com. On there, all our social media is on there as well. We're going to start transforming. February 8th, we have a show on what's next. That's what's coming. What's next, February 8th. And we're going to talk about how L Police Radio is partnering with 09 Training and Leatherneck 7 and how we're going to put all those uh, issues together. So our formatting on podcasting will stagnate a little bit. There will always be a show once a week, but not every show will be pertaining to, let's say, a series in El Police Radio. It could be a combination of El Police uh, Radio with Leatherneck 7 because the military component is meeting the law enforcement component, and we feel that we can both... uh, abstract from that information and conduct two shows. We're also going to start looking at 09 training. There's military applications to training. There are law enforcement applications to training. They do merge, and they do come together at certain points, and we're going to merge those together. And so there's going to be a partnering system, and we're going to kind of discuss that format. And we're also going to talk about the last format, which... I want to give a little bit more attention to, and that's the conversation. We're up to uh, podcast 21, and if you've been listening to our podcast, you know that we always close out our segments with the Word of God. The importance of having the spiritual in your life is important, so we're also going to throw that in the mix there, and there will be shows that will just be somewhat dedicated to that. 
maybe not the whole hour, so the people in the back don't have to get out of out of control and start hyperventilating. But we can kind of transition a little longer segment than the shorter one that we do. So if you're ready and I'm ready, if you're looking up and I'm fired up and you're fired up and I'm looking up, then let's go into the conversation. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. You know, in this conversation, this one, I want to talk about praise. The ability of being thankful for what one has. You know, every time you put on the uniform, you go out, you, you serve, and you come back, that's a successful day. You see your family, you come back in, you're rewarded, of course, financially for your efforts of that day. But most importantly, in order to be rewarded spiritually, how important it is to take a moment and tell God, thank you. Because today is the day that I was allowed to come back home that evil could have easily tried to intercept me. But because of God's mercy and his grace, his abundant love for me, he allowed me, let me repeat that, he allowed me to come back home one more time. The praising of the Lord should be on your lips, on your heart, in your mind, every day the time you rise and giving thanks that you have another day of life from the midpoint of your day in between all the hustle and bustle and the infamous hump day and do this and go here and do that quiet time you're in your car you're in traffic you're listening to the music in the car lower it a little bit just a little bit lower it and start talking no, not to yourself, but to God. Start thanking him. Start praising him for all the wonderful things that you've had. You had a bad day, but it could have been worse. Think about the worst day you've ever had. Could have been any worse? Of course it could have. The Bible tells us about this story in the book of Job how Job lost 10 children in one event and they brought him the news. 10. Imagine all your children gone in one shot and Job continued to praise God. That's why the Lord called Job a dear friend. Dear friend. Could not be moved. In fact, Job's wife even told him, Look at everything that's happened to you. At the end, he loses his 10 children, his fortune. He gets an illness. Uh, he loses his livestock, his livelihood, everything, servants. Nothing is going right. But he continues to praise God 
and his wife looks at him, and you continue to praise God under the conditions that you are in, you should damn God and die. And Job tells her, as a foolish woman you have spoken, because he continued praising God. See, the only infraction that Job really conducted is when he said, I wish, I regret the day that I was born. God didn't like that. See, you were all predestined by God to do exactly what you're doing. But he's allowed you free will to believe in him or not. But if you're serving in uniform, the book of Romans chapter 13 tells us that all governance is given through God. So therefore, you're doing God's work, whether you like it or you don't. Yeah, the paycheck comes from government, but all things belong to God. Praise him. Praise him, like Job did. See, at the end of Job's struggle, although he had all this fortune, all this goodness, and Satan went to the Lord and asked the Lord, well, the reason Job is so faithful to you is because of all the blessings that he has. You've even put a, a fence around him. But allow me to inflict pain to him. Lose his fortune, lose his kids, disease, all those things. And you'll see how he'll damn you. But Job never did that. He never did. The beauty of that whole book in the Bible is that the, at the end, God restores Job and everything that he lost, he says, he multiplied. He multiplied. Why? Because Job was faithful and God was even more faithful. We don't know if the time of Job is about to come. And we, if you know the story of Job, you know about Job's friends, that they came to spend time with him in his struggle and pray with him and take care of him. And at the end, all they did was just badmouth him and say, you're in this position because you're nuts. And, and they walked away. You don't want to have friends like Job's friends. You want to be true to the living God. Start your journey with God today. The scripture says, today's the day of your salvation. It doesn't say the third Saturday of every month. It says, today's the day of your salvation. Recognizing that we're all sinners, that we are repentful in our sin, asking for forgiveness. Jesus is worthy of forgiving you. Of course, through the sacrifice of his blood on the cross, and you will start your relationship with God. Next series, February 8th, what's next on El Police Radio? Listen to it, peel your ears, look up, continue being fired up, praise God in everything you do. We'll see you soon, folks. <laughs>